0: Get started with our sermon tonight. The title of tonight's sermon is "Blessings and Curses." Blessings and curses. As we begin chapter twenty-eight, we're actually beginning the longest chapter in the book of Deuteronomy. So we've just in chapter twenty-seven began the third narrative or the third sermon, the third address, however you want to refer to it, that Moses has to the nation of Israel that cumulatively make up the book of Deuteronomy along with some of his parting words towards the end of his life that will take up two chapters. So as we started this third sermon, we're now in this longest chapter in Deuteronomy that is 68 verses long, and we'll be looking at that a little bit closer detail. When you think of the title, Blessings and Curses, this is where the most, I would say, comprehensive Exposition about the blessings and curses associated with the conditional nature of the Mosaic covenant is found in the in the Old Testament, so you have sixty eight verses here. oftentimes we associate the law or the rule rule of administration for the dispensation of the law. Sometimes we think about that as obey and be blessed or disobey and be cursed and sometimes there's not more to it than that. We don't actually dig any deeper than that. And that in and of itself doesn't really even accurately portray some of the main thoughts about it all in general. But when we're thinking about the blessings and cursing, cursings of this covenant relationship that God entered into with the nation of Israel that was that was told to them or agreed to at Mount Sinai and has now been confirmed a number of different times and will be confirmed yet another time before the book of Deuteronomy ends, you have this 68 verse chapter that really pulls out the blessings and curses in greater detail than what you'll find anywhere else in the Old Testament. Well, frankly, the Bible. This is the most comprehensive part of it. So, like so many things in the Bible, remember that the Bible, I've often said, and many before me, it's not unique to me, but the Bible is this book of contrast. And so when the Bible seeks to communicate divine principles, very often it does it by way of contrasting one thing against Another and, and very often that truth is presented with contrasting pairs where pairs of things will be put together to illustrate an underlying principle or point. Well, here we're going to have blessings that are contrasted with curses and obedience contrasted directly with disobedience. What is the alternative or what is the exact opposite of a blessing? Well, it's a curse. What is the exact opposite of obedience? Well, it's, it's disobedience. And especially when we think about Curses in the sense of more of a this is how this will negatively affect your life, not so much I'm cursing you like we would think about cursing you. But here's the negative effect that is illustrated as to not doing or heeding to advice or instruction that is given to you. We're going to see that very clear contrast between something that would benefit you and something that would be detrimental to you. And if you sort of talk through or think through most of the instructions, or I would say all of the instructions of the Word of God, you could look at it through that lens that God has not left us empty-handed. He has not left us without direction. He has given us a tremendous amount of direction for our lives, and He's done that since the very beginning. There was never any man or woman that existed on planet Earth that did so without any direction from God regarding how they could live their their best life you think about books about your your best life god always told his children how they could live their best lives and it always had to do with Heed my direction. Listen to my warnings. Follow the instructions that I have for you. Learn more about who I am. Think about what I've done for you. Operate in dependence on me and operate in a way that is relational where you're taking with me and involving me in your life, allowing me to guide your life instead of doing what comes naturally, which is to live life apart from me and live life in independence from me. And so you have Just a continuation of that thought when you're thinking about the blessings or the benefits of heeding God's instruction for your life and the detrimental effect or the curses of being unwilling to heed God's instruction or direction for your life. And that general principle is transdispensational even though Some of the very specific instructions of the Mosaic law or the Levitical law have no direct application to our lives in the church age. The general principle, though, is that God knows best. God has given you direction for your life in a way that seeks to benefit you because of his great love for you. Because he desperately wants you to thrive in life. Because he's for you and not against you. Because of his goodness, these things are given to you as something that can be an asset in your life. Not something that you could have a disdain for or something that you could revolt against. Something that you could act with a, a spirit of disbelief towards or rebellion towards or rejection towards. And that to do any of that would be to in that moment not convinced to have lost your conviction that God is on your side. To have lost your belief or or strayed from the belief that God is in fact sovereign, that God is in fact all-knowing, that God is in fact righteous, that God is in fact he's all-wise. And if he's the only wise God, if he's all wisdom and it's wrapped up in him, then you would never Take that perspective that he doesn't know what he's talking about. I know better than him. And so that's what I love about Deuteronomy. That's what I've been loving even about getting a little deeper or digging a little deeper into the Old Testament. Is It's just God consistently wants to show that apart from him, we're hopeless. That our lives turn out to be a train wreck. That apart from his direction, apart from his provision, apart from his undertaking to make this work, apart from his grace, I guess, is the main point of the whole thing, is that regardless of which group or time or dispensation we're talking about, apart from me, apart from my grace for you, apart from my provision for you, you're hopeless. And you see that. As you go through and you see God's specific instructions to this specific group of people, you see them disregard that, rebel against it. You see the detrimental effect on their lives. And the whole time God has been warning beforehand, he's been foreshadowing that when you do this, if you do this, it's not gonna lead to the result you hope for. It's not gonna lead to the blessing that you hope for. It's not gonna lead to the positive outcome that you wanted. It's not gonna be for your benefit. And the question is, you know, if, if I lose you here tonight, will we, will we do that? That's the, that's the main takeaway here. Will we look at these warnings? Will we, will we look at the warning against turning away from God, thinking that we know better than God, ignoring His advice for our lives? And will we hope that we have a different outcome than the nation did when they thought the same thing? That would be very prideful, that would be very ignorant to effectively do the same thing in our lives that they did in their lives but yet expect a different outcome. But yet somehow we still figure out a way to do that. I don't, don't want to go into that too far. So here then we have these practical applications of this covenant that are going to be summarized now in terms of blessings associated with obedience and curses associated with disobedience. And remember that chapter 27, this third sermon, was mostly focused on the future application of the conditional aspects of the Mosaic Law. We know that that first sermon, again, had focused on what had God done in the past. What was he doing in the in the present? And now, what will he be doing in the future? or What will the application of this be as you look towards the future? So there's so much foreshadowing in this chapter. It's, it's the very definition of foreshadowing because many, if not all, of these warnings that we're going to see associated with reject, rejection, the rejection of God or rejecting his direction, they're going to come to pass in the next roughly 1,000 years of the nation of Israel's history. And so if you really think about chapter 28 as a roadmap or a, a foreshadow of what is to come, you'll see that so many of these things, again, if not all of them, over the span of the rest of the story, at least up till the birth of Christ, and even thereafter that these things all end up coming true in the lives of the nation of Israel. And it's all being talked about here in chapter 28. So let's dive in in great detail, a little bit greater detail anyway, to to chapter 28. Now the first section here, the first 14 verses, are focused on the blessings associated with obedience. So the blessings associated with obedience, that's the first half, uh, the first section. It's not the first half and we'll see that in a section in a second but the first 14 verses so we start in verse 1 by being reminded of the conditional nature of this mosaic covenant or the covenant that god entered into with these particular people and so let's read even this first this first uh verse verse 1 now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. So the first thing we start off with is sort of a more general statement or reminder of the conditional nature of all of this that it's contingent on personal decisions that are made by each and every one of these Israelites on an individual level, but then corporately or the national decisions of the people. Now, it's very important to remember that God is dealing with Israel nationally. And so most of what's in view when you're looking at decisions being made are what is the overall natural direction, national direction of the nation of Israel. But I always am careful to say don't go too far with that because the national direction of the nation could only be the result of the individual direction of the individuals within that nation. So the conditional part of this, though, we see, and it applies to both the blessings and curses, neither one of them is automatic. The blessings aren't automatic. The blessings associated with obedience because obedience isn't automatic. The curses associated with or the negative aspects associated with disobedience are not automatic because disobedience doesn't have to be automatic. There's this choice part of this, this volitional aspect to it. And so that's where the conditional part comes from. So we see that with this word if. Now, it shall come to pass if you diligently obey, obey the voice of the Lord. So this may or may not occur. It speaks of the choice that each person has to make individually and then collectively the nation will have to be have to make. God has always handled things that way by giving man choice, by giving man a volition. He affords man the ability to choose to embrace him or reject him, to trust him or to lean on his own understanding, to trust himself. So then you see, you, what is the, you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today. That's if that happens. If that is true, then there will be blessings associated with it, and we'll get into that in a second. But the first half of this verse is focused on the conditional part of it. If that's your decision, that you'll diligently obey and observe carefully all of his commandments, then there'll be this positive outcome associated with it. Now, you think of this word obey here. It means what you think it means. To heed, to listen, hear, pay close attention to, and respond in conformity. That's what we would think it means. But observe sometimes seems to be a synonym for obey. But it has a little bit more flavor to it than just being a synonym for obey. To observe means to keep. So that has the same general idea of of heeding. But how about these parts of the definition as I looked at this Hebrew word? It means also to watch over, to guard and preserve. So if we will obey the voice of the Lord but to observe carefully all his commandments, to watch over, to guard, to preserve, has this idea of being intentional, to be, be, of being diligent about doing this, about not leaving this to chance, but that we would actually have this positive, intentional, mental decision being made to give heed to then the instruction of the Lord, again, which would never happen, unless we're convinced that God is good, that God is right, that God knows best. Now, what is the general blessing? So there's a general blessing, then there's gonna be a lot of specifics. There's a general curse, and then there's gonna be a lot of specifics. But the general blessing is this. The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And now the condition again is repeated when you get to verse 2. Here's are going to be the condition repeated again. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because or when you obey the voice of the Lord your God. So because you obey the voice of the Lord your God, that is what is triggering this conditional f- outcome of blessing and again in the context of the mosaic covenant here this conditional covenant the focus is more on the physical blessing side of it but you can't really separate the physical blessing from the spiritual blessing if they're responding in faith to god and his direction for their lives that's going to be of the greatest spiritual benefit to them in addition to what you can start to see as being focused exclusively on the physical benefit because that's what so much of the emphasis is on here even in this chapter but god's Concern for his children, regardless of when you're talking about in the word of God, it starts first and foremost with their spiritual health, their spiritual well-being. And then in the context of this covenantal, conditional covenantal relationship, that physical side of things is secondary. Now, what's the scope of the blessing? What is the scope of it? Well, I would say if we're summarizing verses 3 through 6, it's all-encompassing. It's all-encompassing. Verse 3, let's read that. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country. Verse four. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall be shall you be, verse six, when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. So you think about those three, those three verses there. Actually four verses there. See verse three. The blessing applies everywhere. Verse four, blessing applies to everything. Verse five, blessing includes basic provision for your needs. As we look at your basket and your kneading bowl. Verse six, blessing applies all of the time. So you could summarize that and say, this blessing that is associated with trusting God, walking by faith, it will impact every facet of your life is how you could summarize this as it's being said to the nation of Israel, again, in the context of this conditional covenant that God entered into with them. Now, it's a danger to try to make a direct application of that principle, which is unique to the nation of Israel and our age that we live in or dispensation we live in today, the church age or the age of grace. God does not specifically tie physical blessing with Our faith response to him or walking by faith. In fact, God doesn't, for whatever reason, he doesn't choose to deal with people that way. He doesn't, in fact, promise that associated with trusting him is going to come physical health, financial prosperity, the fruit of the land being abundant. Now, there's times where you could say that you could sense or you could see some aspects of that as you see what we would call God's blessings on a nation you could say that because of this general recognition of the importance of god's word or this general favoritism to the things of faith or this prioritization of christian values and and principles that that would be a blessing in a physical way a visible blessing to a nation and i wouldn't i wouldn't say that i think that that can be that point can be drawn dogmatically from the word of God. But I will say that there's plenty of examples where you could you could look at that. But there's plenty of contrasting examples where you could see people much more faithful than anybody in a prosperous country that is still living under hard times, that are living under dictatorships, that are living under oppression, that are living in poverty, that are living without any of the physical, passing, temporal, earth-centric blessings that we've come to associate at times with faithfulness to God. I think that was a mis- I think it's a mistake to make that correlation because I don't think human history would bear out that principle. I think if you were a student of history, you would see that there were many people who were very faithful to God and had great concern for his word and following his direction for their lives that were walking and experiencing intimate fellowship with him and yet were suffering tremendously, that they weren't enjoying in time the same kind of blessings that other nations have enjoyed. Also you'd have to ask yourself, is giving lip service to something, does that bring glory to God? Without really believing it. it Without actually being men and women of faith. Without actually being believers who have put their trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Saying that you're a Christian nation or saying that you're Christians without actually having put your confidence exclusively in Jesus Christ, does that bring God glory? That's just questions for you to consider because I've seen an awful lot of people and I've heard an awful lot of people that will take that next step and they'll associate temporal earthly prosperity with faithfulness to God or walking after after God or however they want to phrase it. And that's not necessarily the case and that's not a principle that we should draw from the Old Testament because this was a unique covenantal arrangement that was conditional that God had with the nation of Israel, you won't find the same principle in the church age or the age of grace or in the New Testament. So in any, in any event, that's just a passing aside, something you can mull over. If you have a different opinion about that, certainly feel free to seek me out uh, and maybe you'll convince me otherwise. But when we look at the specific blessings now, so the scope of the blessings was all-encompassing. Encomf- all that was the way we saw from, chap- from verses 3 through 6. Now the specific blessings are laid out in verses 7 through 14 as we finish this section on the conditional blessings that are associated with obedience to God. Now specific blessings starting in verse 7, we have physical success. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. Verse 8 Brings out financial or material success. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God has given you. Verse 9 and 10, we see spiritual success. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself just as he has sworn to you. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Again, there's the conditional if. Verse 10, then all the people of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. Man, you talk about being known for something. That you're known for being called by the name of the Lord. That you're known as a man or woman of faith. That it will be spiritually beneficial to you And the Lord will be able, as you trust him, he'll be able to better put you up as a light on a hilltop, to set you apart as a holy nation that can be a reflection of him or an attraction to him as we represent the things associated with him. That can happen best when we're operating in faith. Now that's a transdispensational principle. That is true even in our Day. So you can be a spiritual success and be blessed when you are trusting the Lord and walking by faith. Now, verse verses 11 through 13, the first half of 13, there's more material success that is brought out. Verse 11, and the Lord will grant you now, again, this is coming as a continuation of the thought from verses 9 and 10. So 9 and 10 start with the spiritual success. Then as a continuation of that, now you have the physical or the material success. The Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your ground, in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. So more material success. Now notice that the rain falling on the land here is associated with this conditional nature of this covenant. But yet in other in other places we know that the Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. Now that refers to, you could take that in a positive sense, I, I believe it's meant actually in a negative sense, but it could be taken in a positive sense where you have an agricultural context in most of the world where up until the modern times, agriculture or the ability to grow food was the key to success. You had to be able to provide for yourself. And so the only way you could do that is with favorable growing conditions. The rain and the sunshine were very key to that being being possible. Now it's also true you can think of rain as negative, as a negative thing. The rain fall when you're hoping it isn't raining, that could be negative too. But Why do bad things happen to good people? Isn't that the question that people ask? I thought if, and that's usually, that phrase or that saying is incorporated by the world, but it actually started in Christian communities. Why does God let bad things happen to his children? Because physical prosperity had nothing to do with your faith. It had nothing to do with how much you were trusting God. It had to do with the curse of sin. It had to do with the condition of man. It had to be doing with everything having been tainted since the fall of man. And again, that's back to my earlier point on that. I won't go into it further. Now, you have to see that it's God who administers and enforces the covenant. They're not left to administer the terms of this covenant themselves. You see that the Lord will, the Lord will, the Lord will, the Lord will, the Lord will. Seven times, I didn't say it seven times there, but seven times the Lord will is brought out in these verses. And I think that's actually quite fascinating as you look at those first 13 verses, seven times that being said, the Lord will do this, the Lord will do this, the Lord will do this. And you see, we can't make a physical correlation to our lives in terms of physical blessing, but we can certainly say this when it comes to spiritual blessing. Any spiritual blessing in your life is ultimately a byproduct of trusting the Lord. Now, in the context here, any blessing that God has on anyone's life is tied to, even even as it relates to this unique covenant, it's tied to trusting the Lord. Now, you'd say, wait a second, he's using the word obey. Uh, We have trust in obey and obey from the song tonight. But they're one and the same thing. The one that focuses on obey as being distinct from trusting doesn't understand that obedience in your life is only going to be a byproduct of trusting God. And that's why in this church we're very careful to make a distinction about that. We don't focus on obedience as something that should be sought after in and of itself. We see that following God's direction for your life heeding God's warnings, heeding God's instructions, that those are the natural byproduct of the one who is walking by means of the Spirit. And as I am operating from a perspective of an intimate relationship with my Father, knowing His goodness in that moment, as a present state of being, knowing His goodness, trusting His plan for me, knowing His love in that moment, resting and standing in that love, In that moment, that as that is true, where I'm experiencing that intimate fellowship with Him, His Spirit is free to then direct in my life. When that's true, my life will be directed in a way that's in conformity with God's instructions for my life, direction for my life, will for my life, purpose for my life, but not as two distinct things and certainly not as a byproduct of focusing on obeying, then that will make me trust. No, as I trust, I will then have a byproduct of that be that I will obey. And so that's something that is, it's true here though, too. It's true in this context, too. They're they're not, you're not going to successfully motivate somebody to follow your instruction unless they first trust you, they first see your goodness, they first see that you're for them and not against them. Yes, out of fear, out, out, out of a sense of heavy handedness, you might motivate it for a little while. You know, some preachers, they actually seek to motivate uh, visual success in a church by always coming down on you. Oh, I, I see you haven't been here for the last two Sundays. You know, guilt, a heavy dose of guilt. Where have you been? That's why I always try to say that as a caveat when I'm talking even about missed opportunities here. It's still important to remind people that there's a great benefit. God, God's word brings it out. There's a great opportunity lost there when we forsake the gathering, when we forsake assembling together, when we don't take advantage of things that could spiritually nourish us. He designed the local church. Human beings didn't do that. Human beings have ruined the local church in some ways because we're all a bunch of sinners, But the design was from God himself. And it was designed to be a part of or a contributor to our spiritual success, to promote our spiritual well-being. But many people take a way more heavy-handed approach on that when it comes to giving, when it comes to church attendance, when it comes to volunteering for things. Instead of letting the Spirit of God work to motivate people and being a prayer warrior, praying diligently, praying without ceasing, for those outcomes and for the Lord to undertake in those ways. We need to keep moving. Now we're going to see the conditional nature of the covenant. It's going to be repeated again as we finish verse 13b through 14 to finish out this this section on the blessing part of it. It says in verse 13b, if, so you will be the head, not the tail, you'll be above, not below, if you heed the commandment of the Lord your God. Which I command you today and are careful to observe them. Almost a a repeat word for word. So you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day. That's the natural inclination is to turn aside from the direction God puts in front of us. To the right nor to the left to go after other gods to serve them. That would be the alternative to serving the Lord. So if you heed and observe and you don't turn aside, then you're going to enjoy this blessing. You turn aside to what, though? You never turn aside to a vacuum of nothingness. If you turn aside from the Lord, you're turning to something. To turn away from something is to turn to something. And in the context of the word of God, it's always other things. And in this specific context, they're described as to go after and serve other gods, small g, little g. Now, the application here is direct idolatry, turning to actual idols But there's also the secondary application that it's to turn away from God to things that you put in a place of preeminence instead of God himself. Now, whose lives does that sound like? Well, our lives. That's what every Christian has been struggling with and will continue to struggle with. That's the attack that we're under from within, from without. The world, the flesh, and the devil, they're ultimately seeking to distract us from keeping our focus on Jesus Christ, his provision for our lives, our position in his family, his plan for our lives, his will for our lives, and to distract us with the worship of something else. Now, that sounds a little strong to say, well, you're worshiping something else. To worship just means to put in a place of importance, the, to prioritize something else. And that's the real danger that every man and woman of faith faces. It's timeless. That's exactly the danger that they faced then. That's the danger we face now. Now, it takes many different forms. And I've said before, I'll say it again here, the most common for Christians is exalting, fixating on shifting focus to other things besides God. And there's many obvious examples of that. It's not it's not always overt sin. And in fact, I think sometimes though that is a hang up for everybody, it's, it's distraction that's the bigger issue. Distraction to things that maybe have some semblance of good to them. But they're not the most important things. It's to be preoccupied with things that have lesser importance than walking by faith prioritizing the things of faith, promoting the things of faith, speaking the things of faith, whatever things are lovely and noble and upright, speaking those things, meditating on those things. That's the danger. That's the idolatry is when you allow yourself to have your mind focused on anything else. People don't want to hear that because they got their little hobby horses that they love to proclaim and they love to fixate on and they can't get their mind off of that consistently. I'm not saying never. I'm saying consistently they can't get their mind off that. That's the thing they find themselves going back to all the time or often in their lives. And it's that is idolatry. It's less obvious but it's idolatry in disguise. And I see that in my own life. Certainly I see that in the lives of people I know including you. Where we just have this imbalanced preoccupation with the things, other things. But those other things are things of the world ultimately. One of them ultimately that I hear about a lot is the evil of the world. You can be preoccupied with that to the point of it being idolatry. Where it's idolatry in disguise. Because God didn't tell you to have that be your focus. You see, though dangerous, the world's evil isn't your biggest enemy and it shouldn't be your primary focus. You have already positionally overcome the world. That is a fact because you were identified with the one who has overcome. You practically overcome the world as a byproduct of presently enjoying intimate fellowship with God, not because of your fixation on what is evil, You fixate on what is good. You fixate on the one who is in control. That's what we're to fixate on. That's what we're to worship. That's what we're to celebrate. And if you're not careful, it's easy to always be disappointed and discouraged by what you see in the world around you. To be disappointed or discouraged by what you see in people around you. To be discouraged or disappointed in the circumstances that are around you. But all of those things can be very subtle and they can ultimately take you away from the thing that we ought to be focused most on. See, the danger you face when you're fixated on other things, very often you have either no control over or extremely little control over. So think about the things you're fixated on. Every one of you, it's something different tonight. For me, it's something different. Most of the things that we're fixated on besides Jesus Christ, we have either zero control over how that all turns out or very little control over how that all turns out. So when you're thinking about making that your focus, what is that a focus instead of? It's focusing on something you have no control over or little control over in place of the one who is always in control. The one who is in control of everything. So as I fixate on the things I can't control and have very little control over instead of fixating on the one who's always in control who can ultimately is the only one that I know who could actually do anything about it now all of a sudden I've gotten it warped. Not because those things were necessarily unimportant. Some of them are very important. Not because those things weren't dangerous. Sometimes they're very dangerous. But because my focus on them doesn't change them. My Worship of the one who can change them by fixating on him. That's the thing that can make my life count. That's the thing that can keep me on the right path. That's the thing that can give me the right direction. That's the thing that can give me the right focus in my life. That's the thing that can make me an encouragement to the people that God has put around me. You know what won't encourage them? Talking to them all the time about our circumstances and our problems and the things that are broken in the world around us. That won't feed anybody's soul. We are ultimately our own worst enemies. That is a fact. And we're so easily distracted from the goodness of God and all that he's done for us and how he makes every day a day we can celebrate, not a day that we have to go through griping about how bad everything is around us. That's a little bit of a hobby horse for me. Sorry about that. I know some of you don't agree, potentially, and that's, that's fine. But ultimately, it's an issue of what is our focus going to be. Now, when we come to the curses section of this, this takes up the vast majority of this chapter. So verses 15 through 68 are focused on the th- curses that are associated with disobedience. Now, note, this section is four times longer than the blessings section. That probably shouldn't come as any surprise, though, right? Because it represents man's natural tendency toward rebellion and independence, and God knew that. So he spent 15 or 14 verses, verse one doesn't even hardly count, so really 13 verses talking about the potential upside of being somebody who would walk by faith and would trust the Lord. Let the Lord lead in his life and the, the benefits that would flow from that. Now he's going to spend 53, no, I did hit my head again last night, so even basic math like that is a struggle. But 53 verses now talking about the danger, the consequences associated with rebellion against God, independence against God, refusing to trust God. Now, the conditional nature of the covenant is repeated in verse 15 to start off this section. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, To observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. So, if you do not, is in contrast now to if you do, that we started out with. So, if you do these things, that's associated with the blessing. If you do not, now that's going to be associated with the negative consequences. The choice is yours. This is what volition is all about. There are repercussions associated with rejecting God, which is ultimately what you are doing when you reject his instruction and direction for your life. That's what you're doing. You may not know that that's what you're doing, but that is what you're doing. And there's consequences in time and in eternity associated with rejecting God, period. That's the principle. Now, this exact application is not necessarily true to our lives, though God does say he will chasten chasten, and he'll discipline his children to try to bring about a change in our thinking. There's an aspect of consequences to bad choices that we live with in terms of reaping what you sow to some extent. Um, But the focus here is not on that so much as it is that you're not going to thrive in life the way God intended while you're rejecting his instruction and direction for your life. So we have two choices, accept or reject. And that was the decision that every person was given from the very beginning. It's the decision that we have today. It's even the decision that the angels were given to make. They had a a period of time anyway. It was a closed-ended period of time, but they had a a closed-ended period of time where they could accept or reject. And we know that one-third of the angels fell with Lucifer in a rejection and revolution, revolt against God. And others chose not to. But that was a choice that was afforded to even them. So then we start to see the scope of the curses, just like we had the scope of the blessings, verses 16 through 19. And it's basically the same as the the scope of the blessings. It's everything and in every way. It's all encompassing. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall your basket and your kneading bowl be. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land and the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flock. Cursed Shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. So, this is a bookend. It models the same formula that we saw for the presentation of this principle on the blessing side of things. So, now what is the primary issue in all of this? Well, the primary issue is this, verse 20. The Lord will send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke in all that you set your hand to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly. Because of the wickedness of your doings in which. Now what is this a real representation of? In which you have forsaken me. Is the focus all of a sudden on the obedience or disobedience here? The focus is on turning away from the Lord. The focus is always on forsaking him. Some people I think miss that when they talk about this covenant covenant or the dispensation of the law in general. The focus is the same then as it is now in the sense that it's about are you going to do life with me? Are you going to walk by faith? Are you going to be a man of faith? Are you going to trust in my love and goodness and the direction I have for your life? Or are you going to turn away from me and forsake me? And I think if you take nothing else from this message I hope that's the principle that you actually take away is that these things on a spiritual plane your success and failure is going to come down to will you Cling to and hold fast to what is good, what is right, but that's all about this relationship with God himself, or are you going to forsake him and turn away from him and then correspondingly not thrive in life the way that he intended? That's the principle that God wants to show us from the first, the first chapters of Genesis all the way to the end of this, his word, the Bible. All right, so now we get into some of the specific contextual applications and we're going to fly through this, Lord willing. So God has this desire. He's the one who administers and enforces the covenant again. The Lord will is repeated a tremendous number of times in these 53 verses. So same kind of a thing. Just remind you that this isn't administered by human beings. This is something that God is ultimately going to deal with and he's the one who's going to bring about either the positive ramifications or the negative ramifications of either living life with him or rejecting him. So again, the Mosaic covenant focuses on the physical realm. So almost all of this is focused on the physical realm. So we have two sections of this. Verses 21 through 46 is the first section. And here's, I'm going to summarize what they say. One of the curses associated with plagues, verses 21 through 22a. Then it's crop failure, twenty-two B through twenty-four. Then it's military defeat in verses twenty-five and twenty-six. Then it's specifically the diseases of Egypt and mental madness, mental mental illness, in twenty-seven through twenty-nine A. Then it's being pillaged and oppressed by your enemies, verses twenty-nine B through thirty-three. Then it's more physical and mental disease will be a negative physical consequence of not trusting the Lord, not obeying his direction for their lives, verses 34 and 35. Then it's captivity and exile in verses 36 through 37. Then it's loss of crops and status in the world in verses 38 through 44. Now, you can spend all the time you want on those because of the limited application to our lives we're not going to tonight but now come to verses 44 through 47 and we're going to be reminded of the ultimate cause of all of these negative outcomes what is the ultimate cause of this verse 45 moreover all these curses shall come upon you and pursue and overtake you until you are destroyed now what because here's the reason for this outcome because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you. And they shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder and on your descendants forever because, there it is again, you did not serve the Lord your God. Now how is, how is this supposed to be? For those who think that this was to be motivated by fear, read this now. You did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. Joy and gladness of heart. This is supposed to be a heart response to God's care and concern and compassion and goodness that has been demonstrated over and over and over and over and over again for his people. That is supposed to be the response. And that is what brings about these negative outcomes because you did not Serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart. This is something that starts with your thinking. This is something that starts in your heart. Now we'll paraphrase the second section of specific highlights of additional doom and gloom. Verses 48 through 68. That's the focus again. Some specifics. But verse 48. Instead of serving the Lord, you're going to end up serving your enemies. Verses 49 through 51, you're going to be overthrown by foreign nations. Verses 52 through 57, you're going to experience the horrors of war, especially the horrors associated with being under siege. Now, verse 58 is kind of a sidebar, so let's read that. If you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name. Now, here it is in all capital letters in my Bible, the Lord your God. Because you don't see the glory and awesomeness, that's even what fear there refers to, is this awe and respect for the nature of your God, how glorious he is and how awesome he is. Now, who is he? He's the Lord, that's one verse word in Hebrew. The Lord is Yahweh there. Your God, another word. They're put together. The Lord and your God put together. What an awesome statement there. It's, it's sort of stuck there kind of in the middle of this as a sidebar. And what I mean by it, what I take away from it or, or what I want you to see from it is this can all be avoided. It's kind of, he takes a pause. He's been going on for all of these verses about all this negativity, but he's saying effectively, this can all be avoided. Well, how? Fear the Lord your God. Again, that personal aspect to God. But if you don't, Back to the consequences, and then there's more consequences here. Destruction through disease, verses 59 through 63. Now, destruction through exile, persecution, and dispersion in verses 64 through 68 is how the chapter ends. Now, sadly, many of these different negative consequences, they actually occurred, if not all of them. That's the sad part of it, is that you have four times as much devoted to the downside of the negative aspects of not trusting God as you do to the positive side of it, and they all actually occurred. You can read about them in the rest of the Old Testament as the nation of Israel's history was characterized far more by its rejection of God than its trusting God. And as you read that story unfold, it's there for our benefit. It's there for our learning. It's there so that we could see something from that, not for a direct application to the Mosaic Covenant, but so that we could see that living life in independence, living life apart from God, the stories don't end well. It's not about thriving. It's not about experiencing life the way God intended. And you can see even the worst parts of this. This idea of what would happen in a siege, this idea of sacrificing their own children, sorry for the youngsters here, but e- eating their own children, fighting about Fighting about who gets to eat who cannibalism i mean this stuff happened as you read through the old testament sad but that is true that you, that's the the story plays out that's what i talk about this is the definition of foreshadowing that's exactly how it played out and the takeaway is it's a sad story to read but it highlights the need for god's grace you see every other chapter in chapter in human history, it does as well. It highlights the need for God's grace. You see, apart from his gracious provision, mankind is hopeless. That's hopeless temporarily and that's hopeless eternally too. And this should tell us, it should show us or remind us that that's true. That we will experience the same failure, we'll experience the same wasted lives, we'll experience the same less than full measure of what God intended if we won't trust God too, if we won't have enough confidence in His goodness and His love for us to heed His instruction and direction for our lives, to include Him in our lives, to live life with Him, to take Him with us to the places and spaces and that He directs us in our lives. And so that could be true of us too, but it can all be avoided. It can be avoided by just living life intimately with Him, and then as a byproduct of that, fo- byproduct of that, following His direction for our lives. So the choices are this: accept Him or reject Him, trust Him or doubt Him, depend on Him or function independently from Him. And this is the decision that has to be made at a point in time when we talk about justification. But that same decision, accept or reject, trust or doubt, depend or function independently, has to be made every moment of every day over the course of time. And those, are, those contrasts, those are the exclusive choices in front of us. And your only part in it, really, just like in the nation of Israel's case, too, their only part in it was, what is their positive volitional response going to be? Or what is their negative volitional response going to be? And so I hope as we look at the section on curses and blessings that we would see that the general principle still remains true. If we want to enjoy life as God intended, it's going to have to be a part or byproduct of trusting him and living life, a life of faith and dependence on him the way he intended. But if we choose the alternative, it's not going to be beneficial to us. It's going to be highly detrimental to us in time and in eternity. Let's pray differently. Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for this time we could spend together. Thank you for people's patience as this went a little bit long. Pray for our youngsters that they could have been positively impacted by the programming that they had tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.